And let's give the Lord a big hand clap of praise. <laughs> Blessing to be here this morning. I am, I am just blown away. I was sitting there thinking a minute ago, I said, they don't need nobody up here helping with nothing. Shoot. They done tore the place down over here. And I was like, good Lord, man. I ain't mad at y'all. I ain't mad at y'all. I've had a ball already this morning. So I just appreciate you all for having us. And thank you for being so kind and so courteous. Um, so hospitable. Um, it's just been a blessing thus far already. And so I certainly want to recognize the angels of this house. Thank God for them. Amen. Uh, you know, preachers don't just invite strangers over. So, you know, he and Pastor Blash must be real tight for them to just have me up here. So I want to make sure I behave and, and treat y'all right. Amen. So y'all pray for me and, uh, Prayerfully, we'll get through this. Amen. I need to recognize this lady. I brought my girlfriend. She rolls with me everywhere. We've been shacked up for about 25 years now. Yes, ma'am. And when I stood up, it was those hips I was standing for. I just want you all to know. Okay. I just want to make sure you all are clear. Okay. All right. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I need to say also, my mother and father are with me. Thank God for them. Amen. I got my brother over here, my daughter over here, and a couple of brothers, ministers from the church, and Pastor Dan Davison is with me today. I just, I'm, ha I'm having a ball. Amen. So I want to move right into the text, if you will allow me. Um, let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 2. And I, certainly, I just want to say thank you again to Pastors Williams. Um, I've never uh, taken an engagement the way they invited me. We were on the phone and we were on a conference call. I got to talk to both pastors at the same time. It was just really cool. I appreciated uh, just that time. And then, uh, you know, getting to meet my long lost cousin. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, verse 5, uh, down through verse number 13. And I'm going to read through these. This is KJV. It reads, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and in parts of Libya, about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying, one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. Can you say amen? amen. And I want to really focus in on really just verse number 10, but I'm going to use this verse as a backdrop. I'm going to give you guys several references today. I sent my notes over to uh, Pastor earlier, and so if, uh, if he chooses to disseminate those out to you all, I got a boatload of scriptures to back up some of the things I'm going to say to you guys this morning. But uh, the main things I want you to see in this text is Africa. 
Everybody say Africa. I want you to see verse number 10 where he talks about Egypt and parts of Libya and Cyrene, strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes. That's Africa. That's Africa. And I need you all to repeat after me. I want you to say this. I have permission, I have permission. to be African. To be African. Amen. 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 All right. So listen, I'm going to talk to you today from this subject, debunking the de-Africanization of Christianity. Debunking the de-Africanization of Christianity. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we thank you right now for this time. We give you glory, honor, and praise for just allowing us to have this fellowship and for bringing us together. I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful move of God that I felt since I've been here this morning. I thank you, Lord, for um, just this, this move and having an opportunity to meet my, my family in a different part of the state. Lord, we pray now, God, that you would just bless this time we have together. We pray, God, that you help me to say the things that need to be said, keep the things that need to be kept. God, I pray, God, that you would speak through me, speak to me, speak in spite of me. In Jesus' name we pray. Let us all say together, amen. amen. I, I want to I put this out here because this is important. This is important. Um, I always kind of chuckle inside when people say, show me black people in the Bible because, honestly, you'd be more challenged to find other people in the Bible than you would us. We, we are not a minority in the text, and we're all over the text. And, by, and I, I, need to, I need to preface the things I'm going to say with this, that this is not, not going to be a not a black person bashing session. This is not a thing where I'm going to say that, you know, because you're white, I'm not, I'm not uh, Muslim, so I'm not up here saying white people are devils, or I should say uh, fruit of Islam. I'm not up here saying white people are devils or none of that. I'm, I'm saying we can all get along. We can all rock together. We can all be part of the body of Christ. But what we can't do is erase an entire culture of people. We can't just let a few paintings dictate our existence. We're in the scripture. This is not, we didn't make ourselves up. You know, you didn't just go and get a, a tan and then work this out some kind of way. We're actually in the text. I promise you, it's not going to be something. I'm not going to twist these. I'm not going to do any proof texting. I want you to read it with me, and you're going to see it. I'm going to show you some stuff. Okay, let's, let's just look at this real quick. Um, and this is a quote from Cornell West in his book, Race Matters. He says, without the presence of black people in America, European Americans would not be white. They would be Irish, Italians, Poles, Welsh, and other engaged in class, ethnic, and gender struggles over resources and identity. Now think about that for a second. When you think about this country, all of us are immigrants, some by choice, some by force. But the ones who came in, I, I, I am challenged when I talk to my white friends because I'll sit in conversa conversations with them and they'll say, you know, my grandfather, he was from Poland, and he came here in 58, and he married my grandmother, who was German, and I sit and I listen to these conversations, and I cannot participate. I'm sitting there, and I'm stuck on stupid because I don't know where I come from. And I'm like, okay, I, I know I got black pride. I'm just trying to figure out where I need to connect it because I don't know exactly where I come from. Now, I do know this. I know James and Margie Moten. Uh, I'm definitely connected to them. At least they've been feeding me like I was. <laughs> but past that, I know Amy, and I know Willis, I know Cora, and I know Horace. But past that, it gets kind of cloudy. And I'm not sure exactly where our name even comes from. 
And I'm just saying, okay, God, I'm having a problem with this. But I, I need you to think about it. Like when we did the DNA testing, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm 86% Nigerian. And from what I've studied, it looks like I probably come from the Igbo tribe. And uh, we, we are entrepreneurs and leaders. I don't know if any of you all have done this study or not. But that's what it seems like I come from. It's not concrete, but I'm, I'm trying to find out because I have a hunger for it. And when I found out that we're in the scripture, it just takes it to a whole nother level. Now, something that Pastor said is very key. This is not so we can reverse things. We're not trying to reverse things. Anybody, anybody in this room hate racism? Do you hate what was done to the black culture with the slave trade and all that? Well, if you really hate it and you really believe it was sinful, the last thing you should want to do is become what you despise. So, so if you're going to, if you're going to search this out, the goal is not to get to a place where we're just uh, walking around and mistreating folks. That's why I want to be sensitive to anybody in here that's of another race. When we celebrate Black History Month, this is not hating other folks. Loving me is not hating you, right? So I, I just feel like I should be able to exist. Give me room to breathe, amen? So let's look at this here. I want to I show you guys a couple of things here. And y'all pray I don't kick this over. Man, that's dope. <laughs> that's what's up. Y'all didn't even see it. It just smoothed like I didn't have no whatever. Like, yeah, that's what's up. That's nice, but I like that. All right. Okay, so. We're going to talk a little bit about the motherland. I want to just show you a couple of things now. And, and I, got, I, got, I got a bibliography for this sermon because I wanted Pastor to be able to go check anything I'm saying. So Africa and Africans are referred to more than 1,417 times in the Bible, with Egypt being mentioned more than 740 times in the Old Testament. Egypt and Egyptians and Cush, Cushites are always mentioned together in the Old Testament since they both belong to Africa. Egypt belongs to the northern part of Africa and to the so-called ancient Near East. Despite the fact that the ancient Egyptians saw themselves as belonging to Africa, some Western biblical scholars have tried to de-Africanize them, thus making ancient Egypt to be a European nation instead of, instead of an African one. Have you ever noticed how that kind of rolls? How you read the Bible, and I think part of the problem is the saints watch television and don't read. You know, you need the Holy Ghost to move, but you need historicity to move too. There's nothing wrong with doing your research. We, we, we're not just believing in Jesus as an aberration or some mythical creature out here. We know that this man, Jesus, historically actually existed on planet Earth. And this is from secular historians. So this is not somebody that got in the back room and said, look, I'll tell you what, just, just tell him he was here. Just tell him, don't keep it between us. Just tell him he was here. No, these are people that had no, they didn't have a dog in the fight. So we know it's proof. We know that's true. And the thing I want you to see here is they tried to de-Africanize Egypt. And you go out here and watch. I remember when I was growing up, I watched the Ten Commandments by Cecil B. DeMille's. That one with uh, Charlton Heston in it, you know? That old school. Now I ain't talking about the, not the Prince of Egypt. This ain't Disney. This is that one that lasts about seven days. Right? And Moses. 
And Moses, Moses had an accent. Have you noticed all these people in Egypt had a British accent? It's amazing. Said, Pharaoh of Egypt, let my people go. And they're like, you're like, you start feeling like it ain't even Jesus talking if it don't have that accent, right? Even I watch some people prophesy, and they prophesy in King James. They said, the Lord would say unto thee this day. I'm like, you know, you don't have to say it like that, right? You can, you can just be like, bruh, you need to stop what you're doing. Right? I came to free you. <laughs> Next time you come to the altar, pass be like, just chill. You're like, amen. Just thank you, Lord. All right. Listen, in this book, the early church in Africa, Dr. John Mbidi outlines the fact that the message of Jesus penetrated Africa before it ever reached Europe. Christianity in Africa is so old that it can be rightly described as an indigenous tradition and an African religion, says Dr. Mbidi. Now you think about that for a second. As early as 43 AD, and this is stuff that the New Testament bears out because we, we have proof of an individual in the New Testament going back to Africa after being freshly baptized. We have proof of this young man by the name of Mark as an evangelist going to Africa and preaching the gospel in Africa as early as 43 AD and starting what is known as the Coptic Church. So it was there before Islam was, 700 years before Islam was. And it's amazing how we will let certain sects come and tell us, I don't believe you can believe this gospel of this Jesus and this quote-unquote white man's religion, this slave master's religion, when they, they was a gospel before they were even slave masters. We didn't get it from them. We didn't get it from them. This, this, this happened long before. 43 AD and 1619 is a long time apart. It's a long time apart. So listen to this. Egyptian and North African scholars such as Clement, Origen, Tertullian, and Athanasius are widely recognized as fathers of the church. Now these are all Africans. Scholars. Scholars. Not just people who walked around with the Bible and read it. People who actually shaped belief systems. People who attended councils, uh, Council of Nicaea, and shaped the, the whole doctrine of how we, how we actually explain how we preach Trinitarian doctrine. Uh, how they came to the conclusion that the son was homoousius with the father. That he was of the same substance. That's how we're able to come to the conclusion that the son is not the father and the son is not the Holy Ghost. But, but they're one. So it's a trinity. It's Elohim. It's, it's plural, but he's still one. It just, it's, it's, I know it's hard, it's hard to swallow it, but that's, that's what they were dealing with. And they didn't have all the nice stuff we have. They didn't have a conference every other weekend. They didn't have uh, their Bible fully finished the way we have it canonized. These guys sat around, and they're, they're sharp people, and they sat around trying to figure out how are we going to preach this message about this invisible God? Now you think about that for a second. If I take your Bible away from you and you got to go ahead and preach about this God that nobody can see, that you say you can hear, but ain't nobody else hearing it, and nobody can touch. How do you shape that? How do you form that up? I just want you to know you're not the first folks to wrestle with theology. 
You're not the first folks to wrestle with it, okay? So let's think about this for a second also. Um, uh, Athanasius, they're widely recognized as fathers of the church, and by the year 300, Egypt had more than, one, more than a million Christians in it. In the 6th century, Christianity spread to the Nubian kingdom, soon becoming the dominant religion. How about that? Christianity, the dominant religion in Nubian kingdoms. That's black people. Black people. Black people. You had the truth in this, in this, in this region. It was not just given to you by slave masters in a skewed perspective. But we, we had heard truth at one time or another, at least certain sects of us. So I want to give you just a little bit of background on those four scholars before we move forward. Um, origin. Origin. Um, it's a third century um, uh, scholar. And this, listen to this guy's history. He gave up his job. He slept on the floor. He ate no meat. He drank no wine. He fasted twice a week. I'm thinking, wait a minute, you're already on the fast. You, <laughs> let me tell you. Tell you that. Owned no shoes. Reportedly castrated himself. Now just hold on for a minute. I love the Lord. Pity. My every groan, but bruh. This is a different level of commitment. And I wouldn't even brought it up, but all I'm saying is, if you're that serious, you ain't trying to make up stuff. Nobody going around disconnecting their friends just to perpetuate a lie. I don't need to do that to start a rumor. I mean, you feel where I'm coming from, right? He was also the most prolific scholar of his age, okay, with hundreds of works to his credit, a first-rate Christian philosopher and a profound student of the Bible. So these are not pushover people. Tertullian, Tertullian was ordained as a presbyter in the church at Carthage, North Africa, and began writing books addressing the issues facing the church of his day. Another African scholar, Clement, uh, Titus Flavius Clements. Clement's approach was tailored to reach the educated intelligentsia and those steeped in Greek culture. So these are not pushover people. And it's amazing how, you know how we are, we, we'll go down and get our grandmother's, you know, reference Bible and, and we'll sit in a room with it for a few days and we would come out, we know the Lord. You can't tell me nothing because I've been with God and you ain't going to tell me I don't know God. He speaks to me. I know his voice. Hallelujah. Mm, thank you, Jesus. Well, I'm not saying that you're not valid. All I'm saying is if I put you at a table with a dude that disconnected his friends, I'm going to go with him on, this, on the work ethic. I'm going to say that he, he probably read a little more than you. He probably, he probably looked up a few more words than you. Uh, I, I'm just, I mean, I ain't trying to diss you. I'm just saying from where I'm standing, dude got you. He got you. <laughs> Athanasius, also known as the black dwarf, 
was to tag his enemies gave him. And the short, dark-skinned Egyptian bishop had plenty of enemies. He was exiled five times by four Roman emperors, spending 17 of the 45 years he served as, uh, as a bishop of Alexandria in exile. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You've been exiled once. You're going to think about coming back. You've been exiled five times? He ain't playing, folks. He ain't playing. So if anybody would seek to discredit these people, now I'm giving you a very light, a very light look at them. Listen, before you think you can discredit these folks, do a little homework on these names I've given you. Now, I want to I take you through a little journey real quick. I want you to just jot these verses down. We're going to look at Africa in the Old Testament. Y'all ready? Think about this now. When you read the Bible, I think sometimes we're so engrossed in trying to learn and trying to get closer to God and trying to really cultivate this relationship we have with God. I think sometimes we read right past us and don't see us. We don't think about it. You don't think about it. When you read in the garden, of, when you read that, uh, that narrative in the Garden of Eden, you see all these rivers and you see all that. You're more concerned about, I know me, I was thinking about, okay, yeah, you're okay, get naked. Yeah, naked. Okay, okay, naked. Mm hmm, mm hmm. Yeah, not ashamed. Left their mother and father's house. Okay, okay. All right, let's read it again. Make sure I get the, the main truth I'm supposed to pull from this. All right, naked. Okay, okay. All right, I've been waiting for this for a long time now. Okay, so let's, let's just make sure we glean what we need to get from this. All right, naked. Mm, all right, married. And finally, I got this spouse, but I'm missing the geography of this thing. Walking right past it. And people are telling me I'm not there when I'm reading myself right there in the story. Let's just look at this for a second. Think about uh, in, in Genesis 16. You see the narrative of Abraham with his uh, Egyptian slave or Sarah's Egyptian slave, Hagar. She's an Egyptian slave. But if, if you allow the de-Africanization of Egypt, then you don't connect Hagar as being black. Which is another challenge I always had when I looked at Cecil B. DeMille's depiction of the Ten Commandments. Because Moses was white. I love my white brothers. I love y'all to death. Y'all just bear with me for a minute. And I can, you know, I can almost roll with that. I'll give you Moses. I'll give you Moses. All right? We good? I'm going to give you Moses. But we got something to work with. But he goes to Egypt, which is placed in Africa. And he gets to Egypt and he sees all the folks with his complexion. And please don't compare this Egypt with modern day Egypt. When you have all these fair-complected people that are born in, in Africa who are not necessarily as dark as we are and darker. It's, it's quite different, okay? So here you have Hagar, Genesis 16, uh, Genesis 21, 8 through 21. You see that whole narrative of uh, Hagar, the Egyptian, who is a black woman. I'm, I'm skipping some of these, but Moses, who has a Cushite wife. You hear preachers talk about, you know, I got all these Cushites in my church. They cause me problems. That's what they talking about you, man. <laughs> You've been sitting there, oh, Cushite. My pastor says, I got a gift. <laughs> <laughs> They're talking about black people in scripture. His Cushite wife, they say that it probably was Zipporah, who of the Kenite clan of the Midianites. And so if, if Midian... Is, is, is in Africa, then this woman who is Zipporah, she's a Cushite, she's African. 
And all this time, I've been reading these narratives and just been missing it. Think about it. Matter of fact, don't you remember it was, it was Moses' sister that got ill with Moses. She was like, why are you going to get one of these bad girls, man, with all these other girls out here? Why are you tripping? But Moses was hypnotized. I, I don't have time to go into it. <laughs> but just, just, just roll with me for a minute. Let's look at this also. Um, Phineas, the grandson of Aaron, and a high priest in Exodus 6 and 25. The name Phineas is Egyptian, and it literally means the Nubian or the dark-skinned one. That's us. That's us. You're in the book. Now, what am I supposed to do with that? Am I supposed to walk out of here tomorrow, go, go get thug life tatted on my chest, and go to, go to work tomorrow with a Bible in one hand and, and a gun in the other hand and say, look, I'm a Christian, and I'm in the Bible, and y'all going to bow down. It's, it's over. I'm tired of this mess. No, that ain't how we do it. That ain't how we do it. I just want you to see it because it's true. Because here's the deal. I really ain't got no beef with Jesus being white. I need him to bleed. That's all I need him to do. Where he comes from for me is irrelevant. I need him to bleed because when you die, you're not going to Africa. You, you need to be clear on that. Okay, you're going to heaven or you're going to hell. So you want to make sure that things are good with you as far as the redemptive plan of God. And when Jesus dies on the cross, whichever race you choose to believe that he was a part of, it was because he absorbed the wrath of God on your behalf. And something called substitutionary atonement happened. And he took your place on the cross. That's the reason we're saved. What we're doing right now is looking at the historicity of Jesus. It might not matter to me, but it does matter if you get to work tomorrow and a brother who's a, a quote unquote, uh, maybe he's a Hebrew Israelite and he's one of the real extreme ones. Or maybe he's a Muslim or five percenter and they're really extreme and they're telling you that what you're saying is crazy. And I can't believe you following this blonde head, blue eyed Jesus. And, and I, I, I just I can't get with that. And you got this slave master's religion. And you're sitting there like, well, I just love the Lord. <laughs> Don't you want to be able to articulate the language of your faith? Wouldn't it be nice to be able to say, well, tell me where you're getting that information from. Because some of them didn't do any better than you did. You watch the Ten Commandments, they watch Roots. <laughs> right? And some of them just aren't ready to argue with you. And, and for the record, saints... I like to argue, okay? I do, I do. I'm a little bit confrontational, but it's more of a chess game for me because I like to debate because when we debate, we learn. We learn. If I'm wrong, I still win because you taught me something. Right? And, and I want to learn. I want to know it like the back of my hand so that when I stand up to teach somebody, I can be authoritative. Okay? Um... The Queen of Sheba, y'all familiar with that name? She ruled a kingdom that included territory in both Africa and Arabia. When she visited Solomon, she was accorded the dignity and the status of head of state. That's in 1 Kings 10, 1 through 13. So you, there we are again, Africans, all through scripture, all through scripture. You can't just pass us by. 
But what I want you to do is allow it to be the thing that you use for the sake of arguing our position, arguing the validity of scripture. You understand? And when you do it that way, you, you protect your heart. What you, you don't want to get to the point where you're just angry and, you, and you're snapping on everybody and you think that we're superior. I don't believe we're superior. I don't believe we're superior. I don't believe we're superior. I, I, think, I think folks could pay their bills better if we were superior. I don't think we'd be the number one uh, consumer with the least amount of power if we were superior. I don't believe we're gods. If we were gods, y'all could at least fix the traffic up here. You, gotta, you ain't got to show up. Just fix the traffic. Untangle Spaghetti Junction. And you got my vote. Straight up. All right? That's a, few, that's a few highlights in the Old Testament. Let's look in the New Testament real quick. Okay? And it's everywhere. Again, you can just start right there in Matthew 1 with the genealogies. Now, this is for the folks that like to say, I don't see why it's so important that we go back and dig up all this stuff because you're living in the past. And, you know, I'm always talking about slavery. If you look at my Facebook page, you're going to see something every, every day, sometimes two or three times a day, because I'm concerned about um, learning history because I want to pass it on to my children. Because I feel like eventually, if we, don't, if we don't keep some of these oral traditions in place, eventually... Your children are going to just not know anything because it won't be on television. Nobody's going to discuss it anymore. They're, people already get nervous when you bring up the subject. And I think it, children need to know the, 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 uh, the pedigree that, that we come from. The fact that you're even surviving is amazing. Amazing. And if we start talking about that, man, I'll get too long, but just think about the stuff that our people had to suffer and you managed to make it this far. And some are excelling. Some are excelling in sports, in business, and it's amazing. You started out 400 years behind and you've caught people? That is amazing. And you want to talk about miraculous? That's miraculous. But Matthew 1, 1 through 14, you see the genealogy of Jesus. And in that very genealogy, you see four Afro-Asiatic women that are included. Rahab, Tamar, Ruth, and Bathsheba. You got African, Asiatic women in the lineage of Jesus? This is not common knowledge. Well, it should be because it's right there in the text. But it's not common discussion. People don't talk about it. And we don't think about that. We, people leave Christianity because they're proud to be black. You know why? They think Christianity doesn't address any of their race issues. You know, I've been following y'all's pastors, and I know that's not the case here. I've been listening to some of those sermons. And I said, oh, my, this is going to be all right over here. I like these folks. Okay? Um, Matthew 2, verses 13 through 18. He says, out of Egypt... Or Africa, have I called my son? He's quoting Hosea 11.1. 1. He's talking about Christ, how, how uh, Joseph and Mary took that flight into Egypt until uh, you know, things cooled off, and then they came back out of Egypt. That's the text he's referring to. So this, you, can't, you cannot not see it. Matthew 27.32. This is one everybody should know. Simon of Cyrene compelled to carry the cross. You remember when Jesus gets to the, to the, just up to the edge of Golgotha and he just can't go any further? They compel a black man, a black man to carry the cross the rest of the way. 
Isn't that amazing? Don't you want to tell? I'm going to tell you something. Your children feel, they feel better about themselves because Barack Obama was president. How should they feel knowing a black man assisted Jesus with the last leg of carrying the cross? That's amazing. That's a, you should feel something about that. You know, you, not to the point that you think he was a co-redeemer, but just the fact that he was available for the plan of God and that he is forever in the plan of God. Can't unwrite that. Can't unwrite that. Book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. The Ethiopian fi uh, finance minister on a mission for the queen of the Ethiopians gets baptized. He gets baptized. That's a text that we always see that, and people talk about Philip coming up and this Ethiopian coming through, and he's reading from the book of Isaiah. Just happened to be reading Isaiah 53. Imagine that. You're talking about providence. And Philip says, well, so, well, brother, do you understand what you're reading? He says, well, how, how can I understand unless somebody explains it to me? And Philip climbs up in that chariot and starts preaching the gospel to him. And by the time he got through, I don't know what all Philip said, but old boy was like, well, look, man, look, it's some water right there. What are we waiting for? We might as well go ahead and get baptized. He had to, he had to, he had to convey this message with some degree of urgency, some degree of authority. And if you got a wimpy gospel, people ain't trying to hear that. Times are too hard for you to have this jello pudding Jesus. You need a Jesus that can stand up under the pressure. That can, that can help you make it through the week without catching a case. Acts 13 verses 1, and I'm going to move on. Um, and I got I got pages of this, but I, I, I'm, I'm going to leave these with y'all and with the pastors here. But um, two of the four prophets and teachers at Antioch there were Africans named Lucius of Cyrene and Simeon, who was called Niger, which is a Latinism for black man. A prophet called black man. How about that, boy? Shh, listen. I want to give you these real quick, some challenges and opportunities that we have, knowing that this is in here. Now, what do we do with it? How do we make this work, not just for us, but for the entire kingdom, okay? Here's one of the things I want to I throw at you guys. I, I want to debunk this, because I get this all the time. Um, and let me, just, let me just say this real quick. I'm, I'm doing pretty good on my time. I, I have had, uh, I've been pastoring a church now, my wife and I, for 23 years. And uh, we've been married for 25. And um, when we had been started, maybe about three or four years, there were pastors in town that were uh, approaching me. And they were saying to me, one of them actually said this verbatim. He said, he said you know, my bishop told me that I got to get some people of color in my church. You know, like, like we action figures or something. <laughs> and I'm like, really? That's... That's, that's how you invite me? You got to get some people of color in your church. Like, you, like we got to get some new carpet in our church. We got to get some folding chairs in our church. We just, we're just there as accessories? He wanted me to merge my church with their church and offer me a position to come on staff and be an associate minister as long as I brought my congregation and we joined. And 
I'm like, I'm, so, I'm sorry, so I, can't, I can't do that. That's, that's, we don't roll like that. But the fact that he had the audacity to approach me like that says a lot about the way he's thinking. It says a lot about what he thinks of me. He can't think that I hear from God. If he thinks I'm going to just shut down a three-year-long work to just come over there and sit with them and accessorize the white people. That's not respect. That's not respect. Um, that kind of thinking is what leads to some of the things I'm going to talk about here real quick. Um, I get approached with this a lot. People, and, and y'all, I know it's not you guys in here. This is the stuff that I hear around the way. Some of the white people, and I love them, my brothers and sisters, but they don't understand what they're saying. They'll say to me, okay, listen, um, we need to come together. I just feel like our church doesn't look like God's family. And in their mind, they're thinking, it needs to have some black folks in there and some white people in there and some, some Asian people in there and some Hispanic people in there. And I'm like, okay, it's cool if we can come together and have true unity. We don't want just uniformity. We want unity. And if, if it's true unity, we can maintain individuality. What happens a lot of times is people want uniformity. And uniformity causes you to lose your identity. So now I come in, and now it looks like God's family, but it really doesn't look like God's family because God's family don't have no flesh. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but it don't really work for me because this is not a situation where we're going to come in and everybody's going to just look like, like they look, and, but we, got, we all got to function the same way. The songs are the same. The, the worship style is the same. You know, the preacher's sermons are the same. Everything is just the way that y'all were doing it, and I'm just here now. That's not unity. You're just training me to look like you. I ask the question, is God opposed to diversity? Because, I mean, if he is, he's going to have to explain some stuff. We, we ain't got to go past Genesis. You got to explain to me how come there ain't one tree in the garden, just one type of tree. Why is there a forest of trees and a panoply of animals and creeping? The, who said stuff had to swim? And there's stuff that can't swim that can't live in the water. That's diversity. Why can't we have diversity? Why are you going to make it like God's got a problem with us being different? You understand? And, and we just need to be clear that some stuff, y'all, is never going to cross over. Now, you can love and you can come together, but that don't mean everything's going to cross over. And uh, we can unpack that in a little bit, but just look at this real quickly. Next. This is another thing that, that I get approached with. Now, I just, I just, y'all pray for me. I just got somebody on my job just last week because I said something and they said, oh, Felix, I don't see color. I'm like, no, I'm offended. I'm 280 pounds of Negro and you don't see color? You're sitting right, you're within three feet of me. You don't see color? So what you're saying then is, in order for you to exist with me, you have to not acknowledge me. That's not, that ain't, that ain't what we want. You need to see color. If you don't see color, then you're not challenged. 
You're not challenged. If you don't see color, you live like you want to live, say what you want to say. You don't have to think about how you're saying. You don't have to think about how what you're saying might offend me. You don't have to think about any of that stuff because you don't see color. Well, I see color. I see it. The statement you just made is kind of foul. Okay? Next, check this out. Multicultural churches versus multiracial churches. Think about this, y'all. Think about this. This was the big deal. I forget how many years ago it started. It was a big deal, man. Churches started getting, it was, it was a marketing thing that we're going to have, a, we want our church to be multicultural. You know, this is when we, they, people started allowing each other to kind of integrate a little bit more. Because, you know, Dr. King, you said that years ago, that the, uh, the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday is the most segregated time of the day. Think about this. Multicultural or is it just multiracial? Here's how you know. I challenged a few pastors in my town with this. They said, we want to be multicultural. I said, okay, so how often do y'all sing a charge to keep a half? How often do y'all do songs like we sing songs? Because you're saying I can bring my race, but I can't bring my culture. That's not multicultural. If it's multicultural, then I should feel something sometime. I shouldn't, have to, I shouldn't have to relinquish everything for the sake of fellowship. Are y'all following where I'm coming from? Now, I, I done spent my whole life saying, Jesus, I've been doing that my whole life. Then I come over here and I say, now we're doing it short meter. And everything sounds like a nursery rhyme. It's like you took the civil rights right after him. I mean, come on, be real with me now. You can front if you want to. When you walk in there, man, what's about my favorite hymn, man? What a friend we have in Jesus. How did you learn it? What a friend we that's that, that that's that well placed clap. Did y'all see it? But you're supposed to wait till I line it. When I get to the that second stanza, when I line it, you gotta clap right there. You was you was, I was feeling you though. You you was on it. But check it, check it. Now you going over here. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. And you're sitting there going, What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. That's what you want to do, but you can't do it because it's a multiracial church. Just saying. Race, a person's race can be determined through their physical traits and through their biological family. 
It's a label that's given to someone, whether they want it or not. Culture can be determined on how we express ourselves or our spiritual beliefs or how we see things. You understand? How do you see things? Something in you, when you heard that, said, why are they singing that hymn wrong? They're singing it right based on how they learned it. And I did that a minute ago, not to mock, but just to show you I looked strange when I did it, right? Because I didn't learn it like that. My dad is sitting right there. He, he lines him. I learned how to do that watching him. And he's probably like, son, what was, get over here and sit down. <laughs> but it's, they, just, they just do it in a different speed. And, and, and it, it's not just a white thing or a black thing. It depends on where you were raised and what type of church you came up in. But your culture can vary. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Okay? So, um... I want to read this to you. Now, this is a, uh, an excerpt, a quote from White Fragility. This is, the title of the book is White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. And this is by Robin D'Angelo. It says, I was co-leading a workshop with an African-American man. A white participant said to him, I don't see race. I don't see you as black. My co-trainer's response was, then how will you see racism? He then explained to her that he was black. He was confident that she could see this and that his race meant that he had a very different experience in life than she did. If she were ever going to understand or challenge racism, she would need to acknowledge this difference. Pretending that she did not notice that he was a black man was not helpful to him in any way as it denied his reality. That's, that's what I'm trying to get at, okay? And so I want to get, I want to get you back to this scripture. This is my main scripture for today. Um, Acts 2, 5. Well, I'm, I'm going to jump down to 10 because I want to show you that Egypt and Libya and Cyrene are right there on the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit still fell. He didn't ask the black people to leave, and he still used them. And the church still flourished. We moved forward, and we are in the story. We're in the story. So don't, don't ever feel like you gotta, you got to you know, duck your head or anything. And you don't have to go make up nothing either. You don't have to like, have a, a, a beauty supply store with the Jesus with the perm, you know, and sitting over looking all cute. You know, you don't have to do that. Just look at the book. It's right there in the book. We don't have to, we don't have to change the story. The more you change the story, the more you give folks that are enemies of our faith ammunition. I'd rather just teach it accurately. And I know some people say, well, well let's, not, let's not get into it. We don't need no problems. I like the problems. I like the problems because here's the way I look at it. Every time I wrestle with these, these concepts, it helps my faith. I didn't, I didn't start studying to teach. I was studying to believe. And I need to believe it. Preaching is easy if you believe it. But if you don't believe it, man, it's going to be one sorry sermon. I need to believe it. And so if I'm going to engage a Muslim, then let me engage a Muslim. If I'm going to engage uh, a 5 percenter, let me engage them. If I'm going to engage a Buddhist or whomever, I want to engage them about our faith. If you believe that this gospel is so audacious that it can say it's the only way, then you've got to be willing to accept challenges. You cannot keep the belt 
if you don't face the challenger. That makes sense? My last scripture is this, Genesis 2 and verse 24. And this is talking about the marriage uh, picture again here. Where it says, there, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. What I want to show you there is, can we agree on this? Can we agree? That before God made a church, he made a marriage. Okay? He did that because the marriage is kind of a forerunner and a picture of the church, right? And so he then turns around at the end. Law first mentioned whatever he starts with, he has to end with. So the Bible starts with the wedding. It has to end with the wedding, right? So in the end, the wedding that we see at the end of the book is, is the same thing. The only difference is the first Adam, he dies with his wife. The last Adam dies for his wife. What I want you to get is this, though. They do not have to change sexes to be one flesh. Yet it is a perfect union. So if we, the, the, the power of the gospel can make the twain one. But in becoming one, they don't lose their individuality. As a matter of fact, when I sit down with people of other cultures, uh, I learn things. I want to learn about white culture, not just race, culture. Because there's a reason behind the reason people think or do things a certain way. I want to learn about my Hispanic brothers and my Asian brothers. I want to spend time with those folks. We're not the only folks with a struggle. We're just one of the only folks whose struggle is often written out of history. And I have a problem with that. Now, if, if it sounds like I got a chip on my shoulder, I do. I do. I get a little bit uptight, and I try to contain myself when I'm in public. My wife has to hear all this stuff all the time. But I, I'm just, I, what I wanted to come today and share is you don't have to feel like you're not represented. You're, you're represented. And, and you don't have to feel like, I, I used to be this way. I've, I've been in church my whole life with a fan. We didn't have, you know, big AC units like we have now. I had a fan, and there was Jesus on the front of the fan, just as white as he wanted to be. But it was hot. Yeah, I must confess, I fan with white Jesus. It was all good. I didn't have a problem with it. Why is it? Think with me, black people. Why is it that I feel a little apprehensive about talking about Jesus being darker complected and it's actually true? That's the work that has to be done internally for us. That means something's broken in here that I feel funny about making you uncomfortable about telling you about a Jesus that is actually true. That's what I want us to work with. That's what we got to wrestle. I hope, I hope I've dropped just a few nuggets out there and, and that it will help you in your studies. <laughs> Praise the Lord. God bless you.
Y'all come on and let's celebrate this truth that we have heard.